just want to jump right in here. We just finished up Habakkuk, and, and today I want to I want to just preach one day on on Philippians, and uh, we'll be picking up a series next week, beginning in First Corinthians. And so I want to I want to ask you, and I want to encourage you to uh, to commit yourself uh, to be at this series and to be at church every week. Don't miss. Um, I, I know we, we don't often say things like that, but I'm asking you to do whatever you can to be at church. Uh, for those of you who are college students, I want to encourage you to pick a church and go there, commit there, even if uh, the preacher stinks, um, <laughs> uh, even if uh, the, the subwoofers are too loud um, or whatever. We don't care. We're going to keep them up that loud anyway. But regardless, uh, we're, just, we're glad that you're here, and we want to encourage you to be here. We believe uh, that the Scriptures are true, and so therefore it is good for us to have the Scriptures spoken over us and to uh, read the Scriptures together and to teach. I want to talk this morning just about how, how you and I are living our lives in, uh, in relation to our community, both inside the church and throughout uh, the city and throughout our world. Uh, oftentimes, Christianity gets something wrong. We get something very wrong, and, and so many of us, if not most of us, have this idea that when I read the Scriptures, it's to me only. But really, the Scriptures are written to a community, and it is for a community, both the church community and it is for the world, to bring about God's uh, peace in our world, to bring about peace in our, our communities. And so Christians can have that influence on our, on our city and on, on our world. I saw a bumper sticker recently that says, I am for the separation of church and hate. And so very much so, our world has this idea that uh, the, the church is the one that's uh, producing hate and that is producing uh, racism or sexism or homophobia or things of that nature. But uh, in large part, though we may disagree with, with so many aspects of our culture and believe that those things are wrong for us and that those things are against God, uh, in reality, we're called to be uh, salt and light, to be grace uh, to our community, to express the gospel through our words and to express the gospel through our actions. But too often what we believe is that my salvation is just for me, and so it's just me and Jesus. And so that's what leads us to believe that somehow I cannot attend church or not be a part of a church or not pick a church or, and, and I can just attend occasionally or, or what have you because I'm kind of in with God. But really what God is all about and what he's given us through his word is, is a book and a series of documents of, of uh, manuscripts of what he wanted us to know about what it looks like to live in community. And really, the gospel is intended to bring about this great community that is going to serve and glorify God in everything that we do, but too often we don't get that. And we think to ourselves that somehow this is all about me and what I'm doing. And so what, what that comes down to is that if I don't feel like being a part of a church or attending a church or whatever, that's okay. But here's the thing. We miss you. We miss you. You say, nobody knows me. Well, that's because we've missed you, right? Uh, it's because you haven't, we, we haven't had the opportunity to get to know you or to engage with you uh, because we love you. And you say, you don't know me, but the truth is that I love God's people, and I love people um, that God loves. I love God's creation. And God has created you to be a part of his community. And so we want to invite you into that. But here's the thing is that when you think it's all about just, just you and what you're doing, uh, what happens is, is, is this, is that you get to a point where you think that somehow I can just be absent from this. But then it goes even further and you could say, well, it's, it's about my preferences. 
and I haven't found something that fits me, and I haven't found something that works with me. It's about my preferences, and so I'm, 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 I'm trying to figure this out. Or, or, and sometimes we, we get into discussions, we get into arguments, and we get into difficulty within the church, and the church begins to break down. And so on this Labor Day, what I want to encourage us as we take a, a quick break here, uh, right before the beginning of our uh, school season, and, and really many of you are just coming back from vacation, maybe, you, maybe uh, you're on vacation and you're a sinner and you miss church today, or, and you're listening on podcast, or whether you uh, are somebody who is uh, just kind of waiting for your work week to begin, uh, I, I want to remind us of some things as we get ready to go here. I want to remind us of some things of, of what we're here for. The Apostle Paul uh, has been laying out for the church in Philippi some things that are really important. And what we hold as dear and what we hold as valuable is what Paul holds as valuable. He's been talking about the gospel, and he's talking about how if you, if you, if you know uh, Philippians, and it's okay if you don't, if you're here and you're like, I don't know anything about the Bible, that's okay. Um, there's a lot of people that don't know a ton about the Bible. But in the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says... So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And what he's saying is this, is he's saying, like, if, if, if you have gotten the gospel at all, like if you've realized what Jesus has done for you, if you've understood the intricacies of what's taking place there and of how Jesus totally gives up himself. And then humility comes, and, and he comes to earth, and he sacrifices himself like purposefully and intentionally. He knew he's going to the cross. He's acting in obedience to the Father. He's going to the cross, and he's doing that for you and for me. Paul says, like, if you know that in spite of your and my great sin... All of us are sinners. Paul says, uh, not having a righteousness of my own. All of us are fantastic sinners. I'm a fantastic sinner. You're a fantastic sinner. Uh, oh, yes, I just said that. Yeah, we are sinners, and what we really need is we need Jesus to love us in spite of our sin, and that's what he does. He says, Do, don't you see how much I love you? Can't you see how much I love you when I go to the cross? And so Jesus goes to the cross. And so Paul is saying, like, if you know that story of how I, as the Son of God, as God in the flesh, if you know that story as to why I went there, then that should affect your lives. And as a result, it should affect your community. It should affect the people that are around you. It should affect your personal relationships, and it should affect even your work life and your school life and things like that. Because here's what's true. Your actions reveal your identity. Your actions reveal your identity. Your actions don't make your identity because you, I, I, I'm, I'm still in my sin um, in, in, in a sense. Jesus has saved me from my sin, but at the same time, I'm still a sinner. I'm not perfected yet. 
I'm not perfected yet. And so here I am, somebody who sins regularly, and yet Jesus loves me. So here's the truth about me. Just because I have poor actions does not mean that I I am not a Christian. But here's what's true, is that when I act accordingly, when I'm obedient to God, when I'm doing what he'd have me do, what happens is this, is that my identity in Christ is revealed. And then we get to go to the person who has the bumper sticker that says, I am for the separation of church and hate, and to show them absolute love to show them the love of jesus like they've never experienced it before because you know what happens in those situations people who are firmly uh, in the in the camp of unbelief become believers and they say i'm i may not profess to believe what you believe but i can see that what you're doing works and it matters and it helps in my community it helps what's going on there's an article by a guy by the name of uh, matthew paris i think i've used it before uh, but something about matthew paris is that he is a profound atheist uh, but he's he's from Af- africa he actually grew up there and he uh, goes back to africa to check out some well drilling and and some things that uh, i believe it's the the new york times was uh, was putting on over there. He goes over there as a reporter and he's checking out what's happening and he sees what's taking place and he understands what's happening. He says that what Africa really needs is God. He says, I truly believe that Africa needs God. I go over there and I see these people and here is somebody who is an African person from Malawi is where he was at. And he says, this is their disposition. They don't really take things on. When it comes to the idea of, why should I climb the mountain? Americans would say, because it's there. And what Africans say, he says in here, is that, why wouldn't I climb the mountain? Because it is there. Why would I bother with it? No one's done it before. Why would I do it? And he says, it creates this society, and it breaks them down because there's no curiosity. There's no idea that they want to take things on. But he says, when these people... These missionaries come in and they bring not just well drilling and not just feeding the poor and not just hospitals and not just those things, which are all really good things. But when they bring in the reality of the gospel, when they bring in the idea of redemption, when they bring in something, that faith changes them. That faith changes them. And it's unmistakable. And that's why he says he believes that Africa needs God. Well, here's the thing. It's not just Africa that needs God. It's Salem that needs God. It's Salem that needs God. It's your home that needs Jesus Christ. It's your home. It's your life. It's your job situation that needs Jesus Christ over that, over in and through that. Because when people see that, they're going to see, I see an identity in this person. Their actions are revealing an identity that is not of this world. Your actions reveal your identity. And too little is given to what our obedience is like. Too little is given to that idea that our obedience to God is important. And this is what Paul says, and this is really where I want to go in verse 12. He says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So here we are on Labor Day weekend, and everybody's about to kick in. And what are the things that we're fearing? If I'm somebody who's about to go into school, and I really started school actually on uh, Friday, and uh, so my, mine came a little bit early, but there's a little bit of grumbling. There's a little bit of complaining. Because I had to do a lot of stinking reading, a lot of reading, all right, like a ton in order to go take this class. And then I had to sit in class from eight to five, from eight to five with one professor, and he's fantastic. Uh, he'll probably listen to this someday, so hopefully this helps me. But, um, but in any case, uh, so I'm, I'm sitting in class all day, and maybe you're somebody who's like, I'm going to start uh, working again, or, or it really starts to kick in, and this is the season when it's a little less relaxed. But what, what's happening is this, is that everything is about to begin, and what begins to come up in our mind is that we begin to have these complaints. It's a complaint about our job. It's a complaint about the person we're working with. It's a complaint about the people around us. It's, it's all of these things. In the church community, it's a complaint about the people that offend us and the people that are obnoxious around us. Or it's, it's, it's grumbling or complaining about various things that are going on. I feel really privileged right now uh, because of this, because within the context of our church, I know of no instances where we have massive problems with this. So if you're somebody who's been grumbling and complaining, I don't know about it, and so I'm really happy about that, and I'm not exactly preaching to you, but Jesus is speaking to you right now through his word, so you better stop it. But uh, here's the thing. I'm, I'm so happy. Somebody asked me, in fact, the professor asked me in class, like, how are things going in your church? And I was like, it's good. It's awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited because here's the thing, is that grumbling and complaining bring about some of the worst problems in a church. When you look at what Paul has to say, like, he's, he's saying, like, I want you to shine like stars, and I want this thing to be awesome, and I want you to be an amazing group of people. He picks one thing, and it's grumbling and it's complaining. And really, I guess it's two things, but together. He picks grumbling and complaining. How does that speak into our life? Well, here's the thing. When you walk into uh, any type of uh, establishment, one of the things I'll bet you really like to see, uh, whether you know it or not, is that these people work together. My wife and I went to a restaurant. Somebody uh, bought us like dinner at some super nice restaurant, and we were like, eh, we wouldn't normally go here, but um, you know, what have you. And they were paying, so I got the most expensive steak. But, um, uh, <laughs> but it was my brother, so, uh, you know, he can handle it, right? Um, in any case, so I ordered this steak, and, you know, bless this waitress's heart. I mean, she was, you know, running around trying to get things done, and it was, 
you know, it was, it was a little long in between the times that she would come. And then finally I get my stick. And I'm just trying, I'm just like, I just want to be happy for these people. And I, and, I, and, I, and I want to be a nice person in these situations. As you might know, like I'm a little brash sometimes. And so I, uh, I'm sitting there and, and I finally get my steak. And this is what it looks like, really. I, I asked for it medium rare. And it looks like someone, have, have you ever seen like a weed burner or like a propane torch? Um, it's like, <laughs> Like, so like one side of that baby was like, it was, it was like, it was torched. I mean, I was like, how did you even get it that hot? I mean, like, it's, it's, it's amazing that that happened. And then I turn it over and the other side, it was like, it looks like it had not been warmed. You know, I mean, like it was, it was like, it, it was just the weirdest cook on it. And I, I tried to like, handle it for a little bit, and I'm like, this just tastes horrible, and so as nicely as I could, I don't do this very often, I was like, hey, I, I asked for this medium rare, is there any way, you know, you could, you know, recook another one and do, do something a little different, and so she, uh, she says this, she says, oh man, the kitchen's been doing this to me all night, and she begins to badmouth the kitchen. Well, here's what's happening. What, what just took place is that I'm walking into this restaurant and I'm thinking, man, this is kind of a cool place and, you know, what have you. But then you begin to see the cracks in the foundation. You begin to see that these people really aren't a community and they don't love each other. And their thing is not that they are here all about serving the people that come in and their customers. But what they're about is that they're about themselves. They're about themselves. And did you know that you and I can do this as the church as well? is that when you go and you talk about your church and you say, this person irritates me or, or that, you know, this, this bugged me about this, this sermon or this happened with the, the worship, do you know what takes place in those situations? Is that you're tearing down community. You're tearing down community. You can do this in your job. You could do this in your job where you begin to grumble and complain, whether it's about your boss or whether it's about uh, a coworker or the people around you or the amount of work that you have. And you can be somebody who says, you know, you uh, perpetuate this idea of a lack of peace in our city. And yet you could be somebody who's shining like a star in the midst of uh, this crooked and twisted generation simply through this. Simply through this one thing, which is really two things, but this one thing, which is without grumbling or complaining because of this. Because Jesus went to the cross. I mean, because Jesus went to the cross? Because Jesus went to the cross. Do you know what takes place in your life? Because Jesus went to the cross, what happens is this, is that his sacrifice forever overshadows my life. And because of Jesus' overwhelming sacrifice on my part, it means this, that I can do something different then sit there and complain about the other people in my life. And I can bring about shalom. I can bring about peace in the midst of my workplace. You can do it in your home. You can do this in your home. How often does this take place? And I don't know. I don't know of anybody in our church that's done this. But too frequently I see uh, women who go to Facebook 
and they begin to complain about their husband. I'm sure men probably uh, do this as well, complain about their spouse. They begin to complain, and they say, you know, he's done this and he's done that. But here's the thing. What's taking place in these situations is what's happening is that you're breaking down community within the context of your marriage. And you're breaking that down, and you're, you're contorting. And what's taking place is that your light and your shining and what's what, what you're supposed to be in obedience to God is not happening because now you're just like the world. And the gospel is not overarching your life. It's not a banner over who you are that says, I am a Christ follower. I am somebody who has experienced the humility of the Son of God on the cross. And that colors my life. When we do those things, what takes place is that our actions are revealing an identity which is not our true identity. Here's what Paul is really getting at here. He says, if you start at the top again, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now uh, not only as in my presence... But much more in my absence. He's saying, okay, the cat's away. The mice often want to play. And so I'm telling you, like, I I know I'm not here right now, but I want you to obey. Now, when I was a kid, don't tell my mom, but when I was a kid, she's in here right now, but um, uh, when I was a kid, uh, my parent, we lived in Florida, down in the Florida Keys. There are all kinds of, you know, islands that shoot off uh, the, the lower part of uh, Florida there, and so we lived in the Florida Keys, and so if you wanted to go to like a Costco-esque type place, you had to drive to Miami, which was fantastic for a bunch of belligerent children uh, because of this. Mom and dad would go on a shopping trip, and we knew that we had several hours before they would be back. They would go out, they would leave the house. I mean, the door was barely shut, and maybe they were a couple steps down the stairs, and you know what went into the tape player? That's right, a tape player. Uh, the Beastie Boys, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I should be ashamed, but um, not their later stuff, which is completely foul. We turned it on while we were working on the house the other day, and we were like, wow, that is very foul, their new stuff. Their old stuff was less foul, but uh, in any case, uh, Beastie Boys came on uh, uh, Starship. You remember Starship? Sarah, Sarah. No? Okay. Uh, uh, okay. So, uh, and those are the only two that I remember, but that would go in and like it was pandemonium. Like guns were getting pulled. One of my brothers uh, went and got dad's gun one time out of the closet. I don't know why that wasn't locked up. Um, I mean, like fights, like brutal fights, like bam, punches in the face, bloody noses, parties, craziness, pandemonium. Paul is saying, don't be that guy, right? Don't be that gal. When I leave the house, here's the thing. Don't just obey in my presence. I want you to obey when I'm gone. And this obedience has got to uh, go into how you guys get along. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And what's he saying there? He's He's saying this. I'm not telling you to get yourself saved. He's saying this. He's talking to people in Philippi who are saved. They are believers in the gospel. They know that they can't save themselves through their good works. And so what does he say? He says, I want you to put feet to the thing that's already true about you. 
I want your actions to reveal what your identity really is, not what you persist to be as a sinner. I want your actions to show who Jesus Christ is. And so he says, I want you to work out. I want you to get in there. I want you to start like pumping some iron or something. It's something I never do, right? Uh, I never do this. I, mean, I only run if someone's chasing me, and I am just somebody who is just not really into that stuff. I love to work. I love to work hard on things, and that's, that's how I've gotten my figure. But, uh, but he, he's saying, I want you to work out spiritually, I want you to actually get on a workout program, and I want you to work out your salvation. So, here, so here's the thing. Like, how long have you been a Christian in name only? How long have you been a Christian as somebody who's just, you're just doing your thing? And you, and you can tear down someone in an instant in your workplace. And you can say crappy things to your wife. Sorry, I said crap. Uh, you can, you can be somebody who is not a Christian in your actions. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, this, this crud that says that I can act any way that I want is just garbage. It's just garbage. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't mean anything in, in your life. And really what it serves to do is it tears your community down. It tears our church down. It tears your marriage down. It tears your relationships down. It tears your work down. It tears everything down about our life. And as a result, you know what's taking place is that God's purposes are not being fulfilled through you. God will eventually fulfill his purposes through you. But I'm just telling you, but you are not doing that willingly. You are not doing that willingly. So he says, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's got to be a seriousness about what you're saying you're doing. There's got to be a seriousness, a reverence for God, saying, God is my Father. He's the one that's brought about salvation in my life. And I stand under this sovereign God. If you remember back through Habakkuk, as all of the things that Habakkuk has been, uh, has been saying and, and doing, he's been talking about like this this God that does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and what's taking place in his life is that Habakkuk is shocked, and he's just like, he is in fear and trembling, his legs are shaking, all of this stuff is taking place, and he's, he's almost scared, but it brings him to a place of worshiping God. It brings him to a place where he says, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to worship you because you are that. Too often, Christians view God as light and inconsequential, when they really should be looking at him as, as heavy. And say, man, this is the God of the universe, and he is the one that I serve, and I am a representative of him. I am an ambassador for Christ, and I don't get the opportunity to speak for him when my actions are wrong. And so he says, for it is God who works in you. Don't miss this. He says, I want you to work out because God works in. I want you to work out in this way because this is what's already true of you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. What's already true of you is that God has already worked in you, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We don't do a ton of sermons on doing the work 
of salvation, but it's something that we should be doing more frequently because of this. Because we're people who I think sometimes get the idea of the gospel, but we're not people who are really thinking about the work, the obedience that I am giving to God, and I'm saying, God, I worship you with my life. I'm worshiping you with the way that I act in my world. I'm worshiping you with the person that I am. And here's the thing. We don't have a confidence that says this. It says, God is at work in my life. God is at work in my life. And my actions reveal my identity. And so, therefore, what I want to see take place is I want to be somebody who says, I know that God is already working in me. And so I want to correspond with that. And I want to work. I want to work not to earn my salvation, but to reveal it. I want to reveal that God has done something in my life. I want to reveal that this is the greatest story that's ever been told. And I want people to see it. I want people to see it all over the place so that they know that I'm somebody who has a relationship with God. And so he says, it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Like I've said earlier, throughout the course of our lives, we're either building up or breaking down community. Satan comes in in the garden And he begins to break down community. And he says, did God really say? He begins to tell half-truths. He begins to question who God is. And what takes place is this, is that is the beginning of discord in relationships. It's the beginning of fighting and arguing. It is the beginning of what takes place. If you read through Genesis like I did just this last week, if you read through that, what you see is that you see from Adam and Eve takes place all kinds of cultural things that happen as there's fighting and there's self-interest and there's, and there's sexual uh, immorality and there's all kinds of things and drunkenness and it all takes place because of this discord that happened in this small little garden. And Paul says this, and God is saying to us, you may not know and you may not believe how grumbling and disputing affect your life, but God does. And he's saying to you and he's saying to me that it's got to be more important than what you've made it. He says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, there's a couple of offensive statements in here. One of them is that there's a possibility of being blameless and innocent. Um, Secondly, uh, that you would be a child of God and that other people who are not saved are not a child of God. Um, Thirdly, that we would call our generation, our culture, crooked and twisted. Um, And and then uh, I guess there's, there's... four things maybe, uh, that you would shine as lights in the world. So somebody reads this and they say, this is some type of Ned Flanders uh, moron who believes that somehow he's perfect and everyone else is crooked and twisted or crooked and perverted. And that as a result, they're just kind of shining. They're this this happy, uh, shiny Christian, which sounds detestable, does it not? That sounds like the person that the bumper sticker is describing is this hatred and whatnot. But what this is saying is this. is saying that you would be somebody who corresponds to the nature that God has given you. That you would be blameless in your culture and not that you're perfected. 
And not that you're, uh, and not that you're perfect, but there, that there would be humility in your life that would show uh, within the context of your relationships and in your work where you would actually go and you would say sorry to the person that you offended. You would apologize for having not followed through with a de- deadline. That you would be somebody who has humility that says this, my blamelessness blamelessness does not reside in the idea that I'm perfect, but it resides in the idea that I know and I understand the one who is blameless. And as a result, what's going to take place is that I'm going to affect my culture in a way that says, I know the risen Jesus Christ, and I'm going to act like a child of God. And what's going to take place is that the people who formerly thought that I'm somebody who's full of hate. When they heard that I was a Christian, they just thought that I was just going to be this big jerk. But when they, when they really got to know me, when they really saw my actions, when they saw through all of the facades, they really saw who I am. They saw that my identity is as a child of God. And that's the most important thing about me. You know what's taking place in your life? You know what's happening in your life that's causing sin, that's causing the arguing, that's causing those things? It's because you don't see your identity as a child of God. Your identity is residing in the things that you do. It's residing, and the reason why you get so angry when something happens in your work, it doesn't go as fast as you want, or you have to work harder than you're, you're hoping that you had to. Or what, the reason why that there's a breakdown in your marriage because your identity does not reside in the idea that you're a child of God. Your identity resides in the idea of self-love. And self-love is the most important thing about you and I too frequently. You love yourself so much, and I love myself so much that if anything comes in between me and my self-love, there's anger, there's disappointment, there's, there's, there's even depression at times. There's frustration. And there's arguing and there's fighting because I love myself so much. But what Paul is saying here is that when you're acting in your culture and in your community, that the most important thing about you, the biggest thing about you, is that you would be seen as blameless and innocent and that, you would, and that people would say about you, like the most important thing about Matt the most important thing about Josh, the mo- most important thing about Katie, the most important thing about that person is that they are a child of God. And do you know that it affects their work? It affects their relationships. When it comes down to things in life, like the most important thing to them is not the money. It's not the money. It's the relationship. A friend and I bought something together recently, and I told him before we started, I said, if it comes down uh, between your and my friendship and this thing that we bought together, guess what? Our friendship wins. You can have it and everything I've put into it because I value our friendship so much. Like, this is the most important thing to me because the most important thing to me is Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. My identity is so firmly rooted in that that the most important thing about me is that I'm a child of God. And so what happens is this, is that stuff and money and sex and power and acclaim and social standing, all of those things come secondary to who I am. 
Because my actions reveal my identity. What's, what needs to be said about me is that I'm a child of God. And when I'm not working at that, when I don't have the faith that says, God's already at work in me. He's already given me the will to do this. And so I need to act on that. When I don't do that, what happens is my identity, my actions reveal an identity other than a child of God. And so he says this crooked and twisted generation. And, and what, what can we say about this generation? When you look at all of the things, I just read the headline of, a, of a, uh, an article that um, somebody just posted, I think it was just last night on, on Facebook, that said that uh, Pamela Anderson, former Playboy model, has now said and is uh, urging uh, people to avoid porn at all costs or something to that effect. And I, I don't know if that's actually what she said because I didn't read the article. Um, but what I did see is this, is that it doesn't take an idiot to know that, that our generation is crooked and twisted. Like there's some twisted stuff that's going on up in here. Like there's stuff that is going on that is absolutely messed up. There's stuff that's taking place in our world. And people would look at us and say, you look at our generation and you say it's crooked and twisted. But here's the thing. You also recognize it. Just watch the news one time. Just one time. They, their business is to tell you all the crooked and jacked up stuff in our world. And so we do live in a world that's crooked and twisted. And guess what? And I am one of them. And I, I need Jesus healing in my life among whom you shine as lights in the world. Like, there's, the, there's a really irritating song. I'm sorry if this is your favorite song. It, it's by the Newsboys Shine. Make them wonder what you got. I'm doing a lot of singing today. Uh, it's bad. I used to lead the worship. You're glad you came today. Uh, but uh, I, I don't anymore. But, um, but I might pull it out if you start arguing, all right? Uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> That was my child, one of my children. He just said, don't sing anymore, Dad. <laughs> oh, that was good. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> uh, I don't like that song. But the idea is true, right? And that's, that, all of that was for this point. I don't like that song. But I like that, this, that you would shine like stars in the midst of our generation. That you would be somebody who is bright. That people would look at you and they'd say, that guy is a child of God. That girl is a child of God. That person loves Jesus and I see it in their life. It exudes out of them. It comes out in their wallet and in their time and in their talent and in everything and in their marriage. That person is somebody who shines like a star. They are shining this bright light for who Jesus is. This guy, Matthew Paris, he says, man, I, I would see these people and I would say, there is something different about them. We would go into the villages where missionaries had been and you'd drive in and you would go, there is something different about this place. They're shining. They're shining. What is it in your life that you have to forego in order to shine? What in your life do you have to forego in order to shine in your generation? What is it? What is it? 
I, I have to go to this business all the time recently. Um, I'm not going to tell you what because then you'll know where and all this stuff. But I have to go to this business because of our, our remodel. And there is this guy. He is, he is um, um, I'm about to complain. Uh, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, I'll just tell you what, what I'm thinking. And then I'll tell you how sinful that is and then how I should change that. But um, <laughs> that's what makes it right, right? And then, no, here's the Christian way. Say, bless his heart after, the, after you're about to trash it. So there's this guy, bless his heart. Um, he is, he, um, he is so strong, so he's, he's, he's just like a Gestapo, right? I mean, he's gotten some authority, and uh, that's my opinion. I'll leave it at that. I could go on and on. Um, but I am trying so hard because I'm just like, here I am, I'm a pastor, I'm in this other world right now, and I, um, I, you know, I mean, there's always that thing like, what if this guy sees my video on Facebook and, you know, whatever, I, I definitely don't want that. So there's that added benefit of being a pastor, um, but like, I, uh, I want him to, I, I want to make friends of him, but every time I go, it's like, it's so irritating to me. It's just like, so irritating. And so, I've, I have tried so hard, and I was thinking to myself in relation to this sermon, like, what would it be like to shine in this situation with this person? What would it be like to not respond? Because I, I, I'm sure that there's many people that have experienced this. And the thing that I, I kind of want to sit and have a good conversation with him um, but what I want to ask is, like, what, why do you think you love your job so much that this is the way that you act? You don't have to be like that, you know? Or, like, what's happened in your life that's caused you to be so angry and so uh, wanting to be in, in such control that this is the way that you treat people? What, like, what's going on behind closed doors, like what's nagging at you? How can I shine to that guy? He's probably not going to have a personal conversation where he cries, but he might, and I would love that when I get over my irritation, but uh, <laughs> shining like stars, it's hard work. It's hard work, because I deal with that on a regular basis, and I, and I, and, I, and I'm just, I'm like, man, I love the people that I work with. Uh, I mean, I love the people that I work with. I mean, I just, I, I mean, Ryan at Haybig, he's like, we're like buddies. I, I like working with friends, right? We hired him out of nowhere, and God has used him amazingly to do, do some amazing things in our church. Gray Newman, who was uh, leading worship here today, like, dude, I love him. I love what God's done in his life over the years that we've been doing ministry together. I mean, it's, it's been over 10 years now. I, I love the people that I work with. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're dealing with in the midst of, because I'm not in that position. Like the, the people that are so irritating you. I love my wife, like immensely. I love the relationship that we have. People have asked us, like, has it been hard on your marriage? And I'd say, like, our marriage has never been better. I, I would remodel my house every year if that's what it took because it's been amazing. Like, we, like, 
I don't know what's, like, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, like something's going to happen or something like that, but I can trust God in that situation too. But like, I love my wife. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're dealing with in the situations that are, that are going on in your life. But, but here's the thing. God is calling you and he's calling me to shine like stars in a, in a crooked and in a twisted generation. And he, he, he knows, he knows that you're dealing with like stuff that's unspeakable at times. He knows that you're dealing with things that are, that are awful, but he wants you to shine like a star in the midst of that. And what does that look like in your life? to work out what God is doing, what he is working in you. What does that look like in your life? It's hard. It's hard. He says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And that means this. To the degree that you keep the gospel front and center in your life, you will respond in that way. If you try to take on this endeavor of shining in the midst of your life and the gospel is not front and center in your life, if you try to do this without the gospel, it doesn't work. A non-Christian like Matthew Paris will tell you, listen, you, you, can, you can come into Africa and you can try to do all kinds of good things, but it doesn't change people's hearts. And you can try to clean yourself up and you can try to make things pretty, but it doesn't change your heart when you're just trying to change actions. What changes you, what changes, uh, what changes your life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you see how much you wounded God, so much so that God died for you, that's amazing. That changes you. That causes you to go from somebody who's completely self-interested to somebody who's completely God-interested. And your identity is revealed and that your identity, your true identity is revealed. And, and that you're saying, the most important thing about me is not my position in this company. And so I'll take a pay cut and, I'll, and, and I won't get the promotion because I am a child of God. And I will give credit where credit is due. And I will encourage my fellow workmates. And I'll encourage my wife because the most important thing about me is that I am a child of God. Do you know that? And did you know that it matters immensely? Let Outward Church be a place that is known for people that shine like stars. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to uh, your table um, to begin to uh, just reflect on your gospel in a more formal way. Lord, I, I'm, I'm praying that this would just be a reminder um, as you intended for us. Lord, I, I think we can get into a, a rote knowledge or into an idea that we, we're just used to this, but God, this is intended to be something that reminds us wholeheartedly of what you've done for us. So Lord, I pray that there would be an incredible humility that flows through our life as we begin to say that I, I am not the most important thing, but that you are and my identity in you 
is what will shine. And so, Lord, I pray that we would uh, reflect on that in these moments, Lord, that we would begin to um, uh, just confess areas where, where we have not shown your light uh, in and through our lives. We ask you this in your name we pray. Amen.